Hello, hello, and welcome to the Casa Delaware Live podcast. I'm Lauren Bruckner, your Casa training director and the host for today's podcast. This is episode 103, being released on Monday, February 26th of 2024. Today's topic explores the connection between animal abuse and child abuse. And I'm really excited to be joined by our guest, Cheryl Crow, because she is also a CASA volunteer. So she has a unique perspective in her work with animal abuse, but also serving as a CASA volunteer. So she shares with us her information on the correlation between child abuse and animal abuse, and it's very interesting. So let's get started without any further ado do. All right. Hi, Cheryl. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Um, for the folks listening to us today, can you introduce yourselves? Tell, tell us a, yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, a little bit of your background, education, early career, and then what you do today. Oh, absolutely. So um, I grew up in a military family. Uh, my father was in the Air Force. Um, we were actually, I was born in England. Um on a military base, yeah, and we were um, stationed in Dover. Um, so I grew up in Dover-ish, a little bit further south. Um, I'm a twin, and I have an older sister. Um, my mom was a teacher. My dad flew C5s, and um, yeah, and so my mother was a teacher. So my experience, um, you know, throughout high school and college was that that's what I wanted to do. So my first degree was in um, elementary education. Uh, my first job was actually at the Boys and Girls Club of Delaware. Um, and then I went on to become a first and third grade teacher and I taught ESL. Um, and then everything just kind of changed. <laughs> I moved to Rehoboth and I started working in uh, real estate and I finished an MBA. Um, yeah, so everything just kind of um, shifted a little bit. And um, while I was working in real estate, I um, started volunteering with the Humane Society and some of our local animal shelters. Gotcha. Um, well, thank you so much for being here today. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, and you are also a CASA volunteer. So if you remember, how long have you been a CASA? Well, it seems like a decade. <laughs> right? Doesn't it's that always not. happen? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so I became CASA in 2021. And it was, uh, I think, on the brink of COVID. Um, I honestly can't remember. Um, but um, yeah, it's been since 2021. And um, my first case is still my current case, okay. uh, which has been very interesting. I'm sure. Lots of twists and turns. And uh, coordinators always kind of chuckle because when we begin a case, we think we might know where it's going. But man, I, I don't know about other coordinators, but I am wrong 100% of the time. <laughs> Um, good, bad, and ugly. So thank you for hanging in there. That's a, that's a longer, a longer case. 
Absolutely. Um, but you talked about uh, kind of getting into animal welfare. So that is the purpose of today's podcast is to kind of examine the overlap or the connection between child abuse and animal abuse. Um, so can you first off tell me what is animal abuse? Like, is there a definition or like what what is animal abuse? So um, in Delaware, um, animal abuse is defined as cruelty to animals. It's in the Delaware Code, Title 11, under crimes and criminal procedure. Um, it includes mistreatment of any animal or neglect of any animal under the care and control of the neglector, um, whereby unnecessary or unjustifiable physical pain suffering is caused. Um, some examples of animal cruelty include um, beating, overworking, tormenting, abandonment, um, tethering for an extended period of time. Um, Delaware defines it as nine hours or more in a 24-hour period. Um, there are specific uh, specific language around tethering a nursing mother, failure to feed properly, uh, or give proper shelter or veterinary care. Um, and that's that's a, the the general basic definition, but um, you know certainly it's much deeper than that. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so in your work kind of on a daily basis, how does your work involve animal abuse? Oh, sure. Absolutely. So initially when I started volunteering at um, the shelter, so I started volunteering in the what was the Delaware SPCA in Georgetown, um, and I volunteered cleaning kennels and just kind of taking care of the animals that were up for adoption and some that had specific um, circumstances. So many came into the shelter scared, skinny, hurt. Um, at one period of time, I was, uh, I, I consider it lucky, but, um, you know, just wrapped into um, uh, hopping on board a rescue van to address a boarding case um, not far away. Um, and at that point, um, you know, seeing, seeing animals that were in, in those situations, uh, you know, naturally my mind kind of drifted towards prevention. You know, how do we prevent this? How do we address this? And that's when I started volunteering with Humane Society, um, working on policy, working on investigating, you know, the, the causes and, and the, um, uh, you know, the reasons behind the abuse. And, and that ended up for me later on turning into a full-time job. Wow, very cool. Yeah, pursuing your passion to, to be something that, that then, uh, you know, takes all that energy you have and that passion about that topic goes right into all your work on a daily basis. Absolutely. Wow. Um, Cheryl, so in your experience, do you see a correlation between animal, animal abuse and child abuse? Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it basically comes down to, you know, the, 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 the what we all see that, you know, both pets and children are trusting and connected to their caregivers, regardless of treatment. Um, they need care and support. They have a vulnerable connection. Um, you know, obviously we can't talk specifically about our cases, but there have certainly been times where, um, you know, we've seen children in situations where, um, you know, maybe the, the care isn't exactly what, what we would hope for, what we would expect. And then we see that reflected in the care of the animals. Um, and, so many times and in so many homes, um, there are pets and children, um, and children are emotionally connected to their pets, just like adults are. And in situations where abuse is present, uh, they can most certainly be used as psychological pawns. Um, and in our training and, and as CASA volunteers, we, we've all um, had, or hopefully had, experience in understanding the um, uh, psychological uh, manipulation and, and the power and control wheel um, so many times both children and pets are used in those circumstances where abuse is present. Um, more recently in 2021, I became connected with um, the National Link Coalition, 
um, which is um, an, a nonprofit organization that provides a wealth of resources, training, public education, or, uh, and awareness around the link, not only between um, child abuse, animal abuse, elder abuse, violent crime, but also, again, that psychological manipulation that so often occurs in situations where abuse is present. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about the power and control wheel and it just makes me think of so many of the cases that our CASAs experience. I wonder if by listening to this podcast, they might think back on some of the cases they've had previously or a case that they have currently. And the, the involvement of animals might make, um, maybe shed some light on their, on their case or remember something they may not have remembered before. Absolutely. And, and it's never, you know, we, we know this and we hear this in, in our continuing edu- education training and, uh, you know, it, it's never wrong to express a concern. And, and if you, you think that, that something might be something, uh, it's certainly worth investigating and, and hopefully it's not. Um, but it's never wrong to make that call, and and we'll talk about you know, how that all works. Yeah, absolutely, and and yeah, oh, that's so so good because it's, I mean, I always think about you know we have a gut a gut feeling or or basic you know intuition intuitive thoughts for a reason, um, and like you said, yeah, talk about it, and if anything, if you're if a casa is working a case and something just doesn't quite make sense or something's a little bit off, you know, chat with probably your casa coordinator is probably the best first person to at least talk it out. Um, to then kind of come to some like, all right, well, here's what I saw. Here's what I experienced. Like, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. In your experience, do you feel like, um, once you, once you put the words out there for any topic, it kind of, it makes you sort of think more or the other person can kind of then provide their thoughts or feedback. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's just, I think understanding, uh, things to look out for and, and, um, you know, quite honestly, just being aware of the correlation. Um, and, and so often, I think, in, in our line of work and, and in, in many arenas, we, we are narrowly focused and, and we think of just just the child or just the family or just the mother or just the father. And, and there's, there's so much more to that. And, you know, we all know, too, that once we close the door of that home and walk away, it's probably a way different scene or scenario than we just experienced. So again, it's just being hyper aware of those types of things and knowing that, you know, you trust your gut. Like you Mm -hmm. said, it's, it's, it's super important. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the correlation again, between, uh, child abuse and animal abuse, what does it mean to you to have that correlation? Mm -hmm. Sure. So, um, again, referencing, um, the national link coalition, there's, there's a, a, a wealth of research, um, you know, not only from that particular organization, but from many others. And it just um, essentially provides background and support with the direct correlation um, that there is a connection and and an indicator or a predictive crime, we call them red flags, um, that when, um, you know, when abuse is present, that other family members in the household may not be safe. Um, And a lot of times it's a cycle and we can, hopefully help you know address or stop that cycle of family violence by recognizing those predictive behaviors and many times it's it's animal abuse first um you know and and you know on a totally different topic a lot of times we we hear the reference of animal abuse with other violent crimes whether it's um you know whether it's shootings or or um you know physical violence, but it's also an indicator of family violence. And, and again, going back to the most vulnerable are children and pets within the family unit typically. So many times they're the first to, um, first to fall. 
Yeah, interesting. That's yeah, that's so right. And that correlation, you know, it's it's also an opportunity for prevention and intervention. Mm. Um, there are some states that have, have implemented um, animal abuse and humane education in, in early grades, like K four. Um, and through all the way through middle school, the Humane Society actually has a humane education program that's free. Um, it's called Nose to Tail, and um, it's essentially programming for our youngest to teach them, you know, first and foremost, to be kind to animals, but also understand that sometimes, you know, when an animal or an animal is abused, that that there's something there's something more to it, and um, you know, teaches care and compassion. Um, you know, I personally would love to see that somehow implemented mm-hmm. um, in, in uh, early childhood education and also in our, in our role as CASAs, but also understanding that, you know, there's so much going on and so much, um, you know, to work on. But that's something I, I'd love to throw out there if, if anyone's interested in it. Yeah. It's, it's certain. Amazing. Cool. Absolutely. That is very neat. That would be, that would definitely be cool if, if we could get that going. I love it. Um, so kind of backing up for a second, how does animal abuse come to light? How do you and your organization kind of become aware of an animal abuse situation? Mm-hmm. So essentially all, um, you know, we're, we're all mandatory reporters, right? Um, and when we see these situations happen with children, we're required to report. Um, in, in 2022, um, I became part of a, a group that started working with the Delaware Domestic Violence Coordinating Council, mm-hmm. and we developed an animal abuse and domestic violence link committee. Um, it was comprised of family court judges, um, victim service providers, shelter partners, policy advocates, um, working with state agencies and lawmakers to identify like gaps in services and opportunities for awareness, um, just to kind of get everybody talking about the link. So we have a you know, multitude of state agencies that were kind of operating in a silo. Um, so you know, where, let's say, you know, DFS may be called in or um, you know, law enforcement was continuously called to a particular residence or an area, and then you know, the Office of Animal Welfare maybe was called to that same location but on, at a different time and a different day. And not all, always were agencies aware that those things were happening. So, you know, we, we really focused on um, how to get everybody talking and how to understand that, you know, these, these agencies, you know, need to communicate and should be communicating to provide the best services. So, you know, uh, we, we specifically worked on a cross-reporting um, um, package of bills that, that would essentially facilitate that and allow that to be a little bit smoother and um, and and more beneficial in, in the areas in which it would need to be. So becoming aware of that, again, having those agencies speaking. So if a DFS worker or, um, you know, even, even um, Division of Aging and Elderly, you know, would visit a home and kind of see that something, you know, maybe wasn't right or, or there was a, a, a child that, that was in a home where maybe they weren't receiving care or a family pet that maybe looked like something might not be right. Um, understanding who to call um, and how to report that and how to to make sure that that, that was followed up upon um, was was really important. Um, so it's essentially about communication and collaboration with these agencies and understanding that our roles are all connected. Um, but essentially when it comes to um, animal abuse, um, uh, neglect, any any situation regarding animals, the Office of Animal Welfare would be the main point of contact to initiate um, that investigation. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's, it's interesting as you're speaking, I'm just thinking about our child welfare system and how 
how alike, you know, how similar they are uh, in terms of child welfare and animal welfare with response time. So, I mean, that's, it would make sense that that would happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Um, is there a particular action that is taken after a violent incident occurs with an animal, such as for child welfare, it would be DFS responding and removing the child. Is that what would happen in an animal situation? Yeah, essentially, um, the Office of Animal Welfare would would respond to any call for whether it's a welfare concern, whether it's um, an abuse concern, um, you know, essentially anything regarding um, companion animals, um, obviously livestock and uh, equines. That, that that's a you know, it's it's essentially different. Um, but companion animals, dogs, cats, um, non wildlife. Um, animals in the, in the, in the home or, you know, connected to the family unit would go through the office of animal welfare. Um, so the office of animal welfare would respond, um, the animal control officer would, would, um, report to that location and essentially assess the situation, um, ask questions and, and try to understand the, the scope of, of what the report, um, uh, contains and, um, you know, how best to proceed. So, you know, with, with this, um, increased awareness again, with, the connection between, um, you know, pets and children and, and the entire family unit. Um, we've collaboratively worked on education and training for responding officers. Um, so more often than not, they're responding in a social work capacity. Um, you know, not just showing up to remove an animal or showing up to write a ticket or charge a fine or, um, you know, just kind of, kind of take the black and white approach. So sometimes when they're called, there's a need, there's there's a need, right? Maybe there's a resource that that's that's unavailable or a temporary situation where um, it's just causing concern for someone else. It could be a noise complaint with a barking dog. It could be an animal that's tethered outside for an extended period of time, or it could be outright abuse. So you know, when the officers respond, they they try to look at the whole picture and understand that you know most times it's best um, to try to identify the the missing. Uh, the missing link, the missing need, and if it's possible at all to provide that service, that resource, that connection, whatever need be um, to that to that household or that animal owner, then it's certainly almost always better than just forcefully removing an animal, um, you know, also understanding the connection that most of us have with our pets. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. So it almost seems like it's a a, a trauma-informed approach, you know, when responding to an animal situation just as we would a, a child situation. Absolutely. And we all have this, you know, I think regardless of, of age and upbringing, you know, and, and however that's crafted, we all have this image of, you know, the dog catcher or the pound or someone showing up and it's, it's, um, you know, again, throwing a fine out and, and taking, taking an animal and just being that, um, you know, that, that top down approach instead of that bottom up approach. So that, that is certainly shifted, um, you know, again, being part of, of this group that, that focuses on the link we've worked on, um, implementing and also developing training for those responders so that they are, they are trauma informed, that they are aware of, of situations where, you know, perhaps not everyone in the households, um, you know, is, is, uh, aware or able to, um, you know, to care for a pet or, or to react or respond in, in the way that they expect. So, um, you know, it's, it's certainly evolving and, and we, we've seen it certainly come a long way. Yeah. Um, I, I can imagine that you've just seen an incredible shift from when you started to where you are today. Well, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And it's, it's 100% a team approach, you know, again, working with 
um, DFS and Division of Youth and Family Services and Office of Animal Welfare and, um, you know, every, everyone together, I think it's just been absolutely amazing coordinating um, to just make those really impactful changes and, and certainly, you know, improved outcomes. Yeah, sure. Seems like communication is key. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, gotcha. Absolutely. Um, and in your experience, so you kind of talked about, um, you know, having a trauma type approach. So in your experience, have you seen rehabilitation take place where a perpetrator of animal abuse no longer abuses or is there, is there some type of rehabilitation effort? Sure. And that's, um, you know, I can say yes to that in, in a, in a limited capacity. Um, you know, I think because there's, it's, it's a, it's a very wide scope. Um, when we define abuse, of course. So um, I've seen cases where abuse was present and the situation situation was resolved when a specific need was met or addressed. Um, you know, again, whether that's providing food, shelter, care, um, resources, um, which also ultimately not only restored the, um, the you know, the, the animal or the, the care of the animal, but also the, the owner um, or the household, right? So it's kind of that that approach where you see the the almost like the matriculation, right? Mm-hmm. So helping one helps all, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's you know the importance of this this focus around the link is is seeing the family unit, um, and when we have we have more U.S. households that have pets than have children, <laughs> and when we think about that, you know, again, it's it's a family unit. It's it's more than often not only um, you know just a pet. So I have seen situations where um, you know that that is sort of been the outcome where again there's there's an unmet need and that need is met and therefore um, that family unit is is restored in a way that they felt like somebody actually cared enough to help and then they're you know maybe educated or helped to understand uh, maybe a proper way of care or a or a a more progressive approach to to maybe something that they they didn't really think of before um and you know it's just it's a sad sad truth that most of our shelters are at capacity um and it almost always benefits um the family and the animal to keep it in its home um, and to make sure that that again, if there's an, a missing need, that that we can we can meet that. There are more um, in-depth studies about rehabilitation, um, which I think is is a fantastic approach. But um, it's not black and white, and you know every situation is different, especially when we're dealing with mental health, um, especially when we're dealing with situations that that are um, you know a little bit more in depth. Wow, very cool. Um, Cheryl, then I guess my last question for you really, is there anything additional that you think CASA volunteers uh, would, would should know? Um, I think it's mostly um, just awareness. And then of course, I think that's the whole point of, of you know, sharing this information and, and doing this podcast and, and um, you know, providing those resources like the National Link Coalition, like the Humane Society, uh, Humane Education Program. Um, I'd like CASAs to be aware um, you know, we're the eyes and ears that have a truly unique opportunity and commitment to protecting and supporting children during these difficult times. So we can be the first to notice these cycles of abuse um, and, and identify, you know, potential manipulation and, and, and those, um, you know, those lasting effects. And, and we can take appropriate action to address, de-escalate, and hopefully prevent um, future abuse of any kind. Awesome. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks, Lauren.
Well, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Casa Cheryl Crow as she provides some enlightenment on the connection between child abuse and animal abuse. Um, she did mention a couple of resources, so I'm going to include them in the show notes. So if anybody wants to research a little bit more, gather a little bit more information, you are absolutely welcome and encouraged to do so. If you are a CASA volunteer listening to this podcast, please go ahead and submit your training hours. Um, you can now do this in one of two ways. One, you could do, I'll call it the previous way, where you can complete your in-service training credit form and email it to me at lauren.bruckner at delaware.gov, or you can go directly into the Apricot portal and select the training and certification uh, tab, and that way you can input your own training hour, a half hour directly. So this podcast is a half an hour in credit, and I thank you so very much for listening. And as the years go by, a friendship will never die.